Talk shows. Welcome to the Open University of the Airwaves with George Galloway. We're not in the middle of a recession. We're in the middle of a robbery, a heist, and they're not even wearing masks. The oil price, the diesel price, the gas price, the food prices. It's all a big robbery. These companies are making untold record multi-billion pound profits out of the misery of the ordinary people while the governor of the Bank of England is demanding that Britain's workforce take a pay cut of what effectively, given the rate of inflation, will be 10%, a tenth, a tithe to capitalism. Just think about that. And CNN are all at sea as Roger Waters takes them to the cleaners in a priceless three-minute flash of Pink Floyd genius in which he exposes their utter ignorance and arrogance about the international situation. And talking about sea, the American fleet is still steaming towards the Taiwan Straits. This after Cruella de Vil departs from Taiwan, tanked, tanked up, as she often is, on the alcohol of power and provocation. If you're one of those who thinks that Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan of her own volition, you are too stupid to be here, and I invite you to switch off your television now. But if you have the good sense to know that this studied provocation by the Biden administration against China must mean something, unless we conclude they have all from Biden downwards lost their marbles entirely, we're going to speculate this evening about what it might mean. And I think it means that Joe Biden, like the European Union, and like the public all over Western countries, is fast losing interest in Zelensky and continuing the war in Ukraine. There are holdouts, of course, like Japanese soldiers found 
on Pacific Islands decades after the end of the Second World War, like the London Times, for example, which has just denounced Amnesty International as Putin's propagandists. And speaking of propagandists, what do you make of a mass media virtually silent about the slaughter of children in Gaza on an hourly basis? Half a hundred already dead as the most devastating, powerful air force in the region pounds refugees with nowhere to go and nowhere to hide. I've seen this for well over 50 years, so I'm inured to it. What I will never be inured to is the media whores that turn their faces away, that call for war crime trials in the Ukraine, but don't even report what's happening in Gaza. Fasten your seatbelts. It's the mother of all talk shows. Curious about our curriculum? Have something to say? Then call us now to join the debate on the mother of all talk shows. The only education you can get for free. George Galloway. The mother of all talk shows. With George Galloway. The world is our classroom. And you're welcome to sit in and join the seminar. Sorry, I was overcome with emulsion there and I crashed the beginning of the show. The music ran out and I was still talking. But I'm filled with emotion as I see the refugee camps and the refugee population of the Gaza Strip. Two million people fenced in on all sides with nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. No bomb shelters in which to take cover. Absolutely nothing between them and the skies and the latest and most fearsome American military hardware raining down upon them. As always, the right is claimed of self-defense, although when Russia claims that it is exercising the right to self-defense under the United Nations Charter in Ukraine, in defense of the millions of Russian nationals, Russian-speaking people, compatriots of theirs, who for eight long years have been being massacred by the coup regime in Kiev. No one even bothers to report that claim, let alone give it any credence. But everyone accepts, everyone amongst the media horse, accept Israel's explanation. That whilst they cannot deny, they are massacring small children, small defenseless children of the same age as, as my own children. They cannot deny that. They know that they will never be prosecuted for it. Still less will they be sanctioned as a state for it. Still less will the unending, everlasting largesse of the so-called international community trickle to a halt. Israel is a war criminal state. It's a state founded on war crimes. It's a state founded on ethnic cleansing and genocide. It's a apartheid state and yet it walks tall in the corridors of power and in social power. Try getting a message like I've just delivered to you out on social media. 
I might be able to because I'm kind of a big target to censor, but if you're a smaller target than me, try getting the message out on social media that I have just delivered there. You will be cancelled. You will be banned. And as my good friend, the late Shulamit Ohlone, a former Israeli government minister, once put it to me over dinner in her apartment in Tel Aviv, we'll call you an anti-Semite. It's our trick. We always do it. I can talk about the situation in Gaza all night, but there are so many international crises uh, that I'll have to move on swiftly. But before I do, I want to say a word about the economic situation and its accompanying four horsemen of the apocalypse that are enveloping the continent of Europe, including my own country of the United Kingdom. As I said earlier, this is not a recession, it's a robbery. In the words of the comedian Frankie Boyle, brilliantly put, it's a robbery, it's grand larceny. Capitalism is booming. Its profits are experiencing a bonanza. I've driven thousands of miles across the European continent this summer and I have never once paid anything like the petrol and diesel costs that you are paying in the United Kingdom. And the oil companies and the distribution of oil are making record profits and the government is doing nothing about it. Ditto the gas producers, or rather distributors. There was once, of course, one pipeline down which all our gas came, but now there are dozens, scores, maybe hundreds for all I know. And every one of them is recording record profits. And the government is doing nothing about it. Not, not, not just the government is doing nothing about it, the opposition is doing nothing about it. There's not a cheap about the cost of living crisis coming from the main opposition parties in Britain because they have no alternative, having already set their faces against the obvious alternative, which is this. We need to take these companies into public ownership so that the commodities and raw materials and services that they provide are provided for the benefit of the public and not for the benefit of private shareholders, especially when many of those private shareholders are actually state-owned companies in other people's countries. I can't stress to you how insane it is that state-owned French companies are massively profiting from their ownership of private utility companies in Britain. This is not just Alice in Wonderland. This is one flew over the cuckoo's nest. That's the solution. The gas, the electricity, the post, and the postal workers are having to take industrial action like the railway workers. The railway, the post, the electricity, the gas, and yes, the oil and gas, all ought to be in public ownership. After all, God put it in our waters. They didn't put it there. They don't own it. 
in any moral or meaningful sense, and they have been harvesting it for well over 50 years in Britain's North Sea oil fields. I want to see a different kind of world. You see, as uh, Edward Kennedy, Robert Kennedy's funeral once pointed out, some people look at things and ask why. Some people look at things that are not, never were, and ask why not. I'm asking you to ask why not. Why not own that which is essential to our lives? Without water, we die. Without food, we die. Without gas, electricity, without petrol, without diesel, we cannot exist as an economy, as a society. So why are we allowing private individuals and shareholders to harvest the wealth from the record prices now being reaped by those who own these utilities and these services? But I must move on to the international situation. Cruella de Vil has departed from Taiwan. She flew in on an American government jet. She was accompanied by U.S. Air Force fighter-bomber aircraft. There was apparently a tanker filled with Smirnoff, which was connected by a large guzzling hosepipe to Nancy Pelosi, Boozy Pelosi's airplane. I don't know if that rumor is true, but she staggered down the steps, pink pantsuit and all, she didn't appear to have wet her pants, although for a moment Joe Biden was wetting his when the Chinese Air Force was scrambled and when the batteries along the southeast coast of China began opening fire, Joe Biden began trying to distance himself from Cruella Deville's visit. But when the Chinese allowed her to land, she arrived bearing gifts. She arrived bearing the promise of more and more weapons, more and more money, more and more political and diplomatic support for a part of a country that the United States itself recognizes as part of China. You have to grasp because so many people are so stupid and ignorant about this and other things. The United States the United Kingdom, the European Union, the United Nations, all of Latin America, all of Africa, all of Asia, everybody in the entire world recognizes Taiwan as part of China. So, as I asked the Spanish government this week, how would you feel if the third highest ranking Chinese official landed in Barcelona was fated by the separatists there and promised the Catalan separatist movement more guns, more money, and more diplomatic and political support. How would you like it, Mr. and Mrs. Spain? Or as I ask the American public, now, Hawaii is a state of the United States of America, but it does have people there that want separatism that want to be out of the USA, that want Hawaii to be an independent country. How would you feel, Americans, if the third highest ranking Chinese official landed in Hawaii, 
bearing gifts of guns and money and political and diplomatic support for the Hawaiian separatist movement. Because that analogy is pretty near perfect, except Hawaii is a lot further away from the United States than Taiwan is from China. And this when you have already repeatedly stated, including this week, that you continue to hold to the one China policy. You continue to hold to the policy that there is only one China and that ipso facto, Taiwan is a part of it. As provocations go, it was near insane. If the Chinese leadership had been as reckless as the American leadership, we would already be in what could become the Third World War. But the Chinese leadership walks softly, though it carries a big stick. And it's already begun wielding that stick across a whole range of countermeasures. The United States will pay for the offense to the territorial integrity and national sovereignty of the Chinese people. But I got to asking, this provocation was so insane that unless the entire American administration, not just Biden, who's clearly lost his marbles, but the entire administration is actually Ward 7 in one flew over the cuckoo's nest, there must be a meaning to this. And I began to wonder what that meaning might be. And here's my thesis. It is that Biden and the United States, like the EU and like the general public, is fast losing interest in Zelensky and in the Ukraine and in Eastern Europe and wants to make a full pivot to Asia. And this provocation was to provide justification for that full pivot. That full pivot will itself have massive consequences, but hear me out. Why do I think that? Well, first of all, because no one would understand fighting both Russia and China at the same time. I mean, literally only someone who was insane would choose to do that. Someone who knew nothing of Napoleon, who knew nothing of Adolf Hitler, Someone who was too stupid to know the folly of that. Let's assume that at least outside of the Oval Office in the White House, they're not actually idiots. I chart a number of interesting threads that are coming your way. First of all, notwithstanding the Japanese uh, soldier on the Pacific Island popping up 30 years after the war, like the London Times, when Amnesty International, a faithful lapdog of the imperialist cause, denounces the Kiev regime for its tactics of fighting deliberately from civilian areas, thus risking and incurring casualties among civilian people, and when it condemns Kiev in the terms that it condemned it, I smell a rat. I smell a rat when Amnesty International begins to turn away from the prevailing orthodoxy of its master's voice. And that was the first dog that barked. 
The second dog that barked was the extraordinary report this week that up to 70% of the hundreds of billions of dollars, euros and pounds military aid that has flooded into Ukraine does not reach the front line. 70%, more than two-thirds. Now, of course, some of it is destroyed by the increasingly powerful and accurate Russian guns. Some of it is stolen. As those of you who know how to find the dark web, as I now do, can testify. You can buy a javelin missile to run around with in your car boot for just $30,000. That's not what it cost the taxpayer in Europe and the United States where it was originally purchased from the military industrial complex, but that's what you can buy it for online right now. And it's a nice size. It's actually no bigger than this table at which I'm sitting. If you've got a decent sized boot, you can put it in. You can drive it to the perimeter of an airport and you can bring down a civilian airliner as it comes in or as it takes off. Or you can fire it at a nightclub. Or you can fire it at a bank and conduct a bank heist. Why not? After all, the dark web is now flooded with military hardware that you gave to the Zelensky regime in Kiev. You'll be paying for it in your economic crisis for a long time. But the Ukrainian criminals will be selling it at a knockdown price on a dark website near you. And the third dog that barked was the Sky News presenter in Australia, but coming to a Sky News near you, who began to blow the whistle on the corrupt oligarchy in power in Kiev, including Zelensky. And the fourth dog that barked was that report from the American administration that Zelensky's personal security is now a matter of grave concern to them. As I put it, Zelensky's suicide came as a great surprise to him. If I were Zelensky, I would be heading to break shore in Florida to my $21 million beachfront estate on Miami Beach. I'd be doing that while I still could. Or I might head for my $50,000 villa in Israel. Or I might head to my Shishi apartment in the first arrondissement in Paris. Or I might head for the extensive property portfolio I have now built up in Knightsbridge and in the Ritzier parts of Chelsea. Zelensky and his regime are more valuable now to the United States dead than alive. And that is a dangerous place to be. But not quite as dangerous as the Straits of Taiwan, to which we are about to turn. Li Jingjing is my favorite Chinese commentator, writer and political analyst. And she's up right after the break. You know, and it's a very, thank you for, you know, I, I'm a big fan of your show, Gigi. 
great, great debate, great. And I'm Scottish. I'm very passionate about what's happening there, you know. I had a great mom. She was Scottish, Mary McLeod. She taught me well. She taught me well at everything, including golf. I love Scotland, and I love the Scottish food. It's great food. I said to Melania, you know, haggis. Look at that. What's more than more Scottish than that? Me. I am that haggis. She said, what, thin-skinned and full of crap? You are listening to the Mother of All Talk shows with George Galloway. Now, here is the telephone number, or there it was. I no longer have it, but it's coming along the screen. There it is. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, it's plus one eight four four nine four four double three double four. Don't forget, it's toll free, so it costs you nothing at all to call the show. If you're in the U.K. or Ireland, it's oh eight oh eight one. Nine six double five double two. That's oh eight oh eight one nine six double five double two. And equally, it will cost you nothing. I have launched a poll, which is already headed towards record numbers. In the YouTube community poll earlier, it got the best part of five thousand votes before the show even began. Since the show began, the poll is running on Twitter, YouTube, and on Telegram. And here's how it reads: Is Biden losing interest in Zelensky and Ukraine? And overwhelmingly, the audience agrees with my take on things. A yes, 84% on Twitter. B no, 16% on Twitter. On YouTube, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. It will cost you nothing, but it will help us considerably. Yes, 87%. No, 13%. Uh, and on my Telegram channel, t.me forward slash George Galloway. Follow me there because one day it might be the only place in the whole world that you can follow me. The voting there is yes, 84%, no, 16%. You can vote until more or less the end of the show. Now, remember that though this show is free because we have a sponsor, on the 12th of October, we will launch the midweek Mother of All talk shows. We've already relaunched the podcast, which is already clawing its way back to where it was before we had to close it down temporarily for financial reasons. The podcast is free and it's up and running, but the need for a sponsor for the return of the midweek Wednesday Mother of All talk shows is, of course, a pressing concern of mine. And whilst I do not yet have a sponsor for it, I'm hoping, I don't know, maybe Jack Ma will sponsor it on behalf of Alibaba. It would be good. It's a big audience, Jack. And, yeah, you know, you might get some uh, credit for it in China, if you know what I mean. But I have to work on the assumption that I won't have a sponsor by the 12th of October. And therefore, I need a fighting fund. And you can donate to that by Super Chat on the YouTube channel. So if you're watching on YouTube, please go to Super Chat and donate any amount in any denomination. Or if you're watching elsewhere or you're watching back on Catch Up, go please to moats.tv and find the donate button. And give anything, one dollar, one pound. It's all I'm asking. Ain't I worth it? One dollar. One pound, 
for the mother of all talk shows. And that will give us a fighting fund which will ensure that the midweek moats doesn't go up like a rocket but come back down like a burnt stick. No one could ever say that about my first guest this evening. She's not a rocket. She is a star. Li Jingjing is a Chinese writer, author, analyst and commentator. And she joins me now. Li Jingjing, welcome back to the mother of all talk shows. It's been quite a week for you Chinese people. Tell us how you felt. Wow, we felt angry, uh, of course. But, and we've been working overtime, of course. Uh, first, before I continue, thank you, George. I heard what you said about me. Thank you so much for your kind words. And I love your show as well. So always so happy to come back to your show. And this week is absolutely um, the 1.4 billion people in China are so angry. We share the same feeling. And we were so angry at what happened, uh, what Nancy Pelosi did to the Taiwan region that, you know, the Chinese social network Weibo got crashed the night that she landed in Taipei because everyone was going to the social, going to the social network to see what she was doing. So like we, the, our anger even got our social networks crashed. That's how angry we are. Yeah, but, um, did it come out of the blue? Uh, did you think there might be bluffing? Did you think that, you know, the Easter Bunny might come down those steps instead of Cruella de Vil? Um, I think it's not coming out of blue because and I think we were all thinking this day may come. Um, we're kind of, me personally, who has been following this kind of news or, or politics from the United States or the world, I know it's will come. I just didn't know this. This came so early, but it's just—it's how to say—it shocked me that the, the United States is no longer sticking to politics or basic principles of international relations. Like you mentioned earlier in your opening monologue, that the international community recognized Taiwan is part of China. There's only one China, but still, even the United States. Uh, recognize that Taiwan is part of China. And I'm totally shocked that how few people realize that, how few people know that. And actually, to prove what we said, uh, I actually printed out two documents, uh, the UN resolution and the Shanghai communique signed by the United States and China. And I'd like to read a few paragraphs to prove to our viewers who don't know that Taiwan is part of China. Let me, let me show you what the international community thought. This is the UN resolution, uh, 2758, re, uh, published in the year 1971. Uh, that's called the Restoration of the Lawful Rights of the People's Republic of China in the United Nations. So in this resolution, it decides to restore all its rights to the People's Republic of China and to recognize the representatives of its governments as the only legitimate representatives of China to the United Nations and to expel forthwith the representatives of Chiang Kai-shek, the former leader of Kuomintang in, in, in Taiwan region, from this place and which they unlawfully occupied at the United Nations and in all the record organizations related to it. This is the United Nations. United Nations recognized that 
And in the Shanghai Communique signed by the United States and China in the year 1972, that's when President of the United States Nixon trying to normalize the relations, diplomatic relations with China. So in order to do that,、um, I pointed it out myself. You can also Google it. I'm not just like. Bringing out some like many people in the Western countries will say this is Chinese propaganda. No, this is U.S. documents. So you can find it on U.S. government website. It says the U.S. sides declared the United States acknowledges that all Chinese on either side of the Taiwan Straits maintain there is but one China, and that Taiwan is part of China. The United States government does not challenge that position. It reaffirms its interest in a peaceful settlement of the Taiwan question by the Chinese themselves, and it's also、uh, that year、uh, they decided to withdraw all U.S. forces and military installations from Taiwan. So, every government, the international community, recognizes there's only one China, and Taiwan is part of China. Then Nancy Pelosi went to Taipei. That gesture basically means the United States don't follow. To their their agreements, they no longer interested in sticking to the one China policy, and they have a third most important politicians going there to support the separatists. That's a blatant provocation, and、uh, it also I think this trip also damaged the U.S. government's credibility because you don't follow your words, you don't follow your written government docu- documents agreements. Then your words mean nothing. How can we expect any country, anyone in the world, to to believe you as a country? So I think this trip probably brings more damage to the United States itself. Yes,、uh, but they didn't do it for nothing, and it won't be the last thing they do. So how is China going to respond,、uh, President? Xi Jinping said that those that play with fire、uh, will get burned by it. So Nancy Pelosi did play with fire. In what way and when will the United States be burned by it? <laughs> uh, first, um, there are already some some consequences towards Nancy Pelosi and his family members.、Uh, there are sanctions. Uh, announced by the Chinese government towards Nancy Pelosi and his relatives. So, her husband and her son has a lot of investments in Chinese companies related to Chinese companies. So, it's probably a big loss economically to her family. Also, China canceled a lot of can,、uh, canceled and suspended several conversations with the United States,、uh, either with the U.S. military and also on climate change. So, there are several. Uh, cancellations of collaborations between China and the United States. So, or concept, we will see the consequences. And second, <laughs> I'm not sure about the、uh, burning the U.S. down thing because I think Chinese ourselves, we really cherish peace. We don't want war. And as we, as the Chinese government, government officials said、uh, verbally and written in their documents, we always seek. Peaceful reunification with the、uh, Taiwan Island, Chinese mainland will always re- seek this peaceful reunification. And you can see, like the words from Chinese government and their actions are always consistent. 
we won't choose any violent, violent uh, way unless the government officials or militaries from the United States or its allies can come here to our territory to provoke and undermine our territorial integrity and national security. That's a clear provocation. So I think the world is watching the military exercises, drills in our own waters. So I think any country wants to challenge, to undermine our net territorial integrity, they should think twice. Yes, uh, but you know, there's a danger. I've got to put this to you. It's my job. Uh, there's a danger of, uh, of the boy who cried wolf. Uh, if you if you publicly state that uh, there will be uh, serious consequences, as the Ministry of Defense in China did, uh, about these uh, provocations, they're more than just provocations. They are actually a threat to your national security. The, the USS Ronald Reagan and the battle group that is uh, threatening to sail through the Straits of Taiwan, these are... A potentially a, a danger to your national security, not to mention a grave insult to your, uh, to your national integrity. Now, in 1949, the uh, HMS Amethyst in the famous Yangtze incident uh, was effectively sunk uh, by the Red Navy, uh, which was in its infancy, of course, at that time. At what, I suppose I'm asking, at what point uh, will these provocations be halted by China? That I can now say for sure, because that uh, I'm not a, a government official. I can not say uh, on behalf of the Chinese government. But uh, you mentioned something, because this is this threats, this uh, intentional uh, undermining a country's territorial uh, integrity is very intentional from the United States. Um, they, like before Nancy Pelosi arrived in Taipei, I think all the government officials from China, from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, from the Ministry of National Defense, uh, give very clear warning. Don't come here. Otherwise, you will face serious consequences. And before Nancy Pelosi arrived here, even U.S. President Joe Biden held a phone call with Chinese President Xi Jinping. It's very clear. Don't come here. Uh, this is the our right line. Do not cross. But still, did the, US, did the United States really pay attention to all the warnings and uh, all the serious talks from the Chinese officials? No, they didn't. They came here. It's a blatant. I think they did it intentionally because they want to create a trouble, create a situation and then you may retaliate, and then they will use that as an excuse to start a war and send their military here. And actually, why they are so obsessed with the Taiwan island, why this tiny island matters to, to them. And if anyone who is interested in geopolitics, you look at the map, you look at where the U.S. military base is located in the whole Indo-Pacific regions. They got a military bases in Okinawa, in Japan, they got a military bases in Guam, in the Philippines. It's a circle. It's, they're encircling China. And uh, Taiwan Island located at a very key, vital 
location for them because it's just so close to the Chinese mainland. And many viewers in Britain or elsewhere in the United States probably don't know how close the Chinese mainland and the Taiwan island is. Uh, Fujian province, which is just across the streets, is the mainland's nearest uh, province to, ta- to the Taiwan island. And the, the city in Fujian province, Pingtan, is only 128 kilometers away from Taiwan. And if you drive a car, it's probably just less than one hour. So this Taiwan island is very vital for the United States' geopolitical ambition in the Indo-Pacific region. And I want to share with you an article I read a few, a few weeks earlier. It's written by a former retired a CIA official who actually served in the command in East Asia and South Asia. I think his name is David Sauer. He wrote a opinion piece on the Hill. And, you know, sometimes it's really interesting to read the articles written by these these warmongers because they reveal their true intentions and their projections. They said Taiwan Island is the cork of the bottle for Japan. And they worry that if the mainland, Chinese mainland reunified with the Taiwan Island, then China will have full control with the shipping lines in Japan and South Korea, which is absurd. I mean, so, but that is a projection that reveals what they want to do. They want to control the Taiwan Island so they can use, uh, use their allies, their military bases in their allies nations, use uh, Japan to further contain China, and also they will contain the whole Indo-Pacific region. And you mentioned in your opening monologue that the pivot to Asia, uh, Barack Obama, during his administration, he announces pivot to Asia. What does it mean? The United States will pivot to Asia militarily and politically. But every time they turn to Asia, they bring atrocities to Asia. Their pivot to Asia is bad for Asians. Look what they did. If they had military bases in Okinawa, in Guam, in Philippines, and what did their soldiers did? They tortured, killed, raped the locals. It's always suffering. You always see people in Okinawa protesting against the U.S. soldiers' cruel activities towards locals. The locals cannot cross certain places. I mean, their pivot to Asia is not bringing peace to Asia. They want to no, the whole Asia to serve the U.S. geopolitical interests. Now listen in for the nuggets. You don't speak for the Chinese government, and of course I don't. But I've got an idea I'd like to whisper in your ear. If China sent its third highest ranking official to Havana and announced that they were going to utterly transform and uplift the economic and social infrastructure of Cuba, they were going to pave Cuba with highways, with uh, airports, with railways, with high-tech infrastructure and investment of all kinds. And they were going to send exactly the same kind of military assurance to the people of Cuba that the United States have sent to Taiwan. That would be a tit-for-tat that would send a signal around the entire world and would be a jolly good thing. And whilst I've got your ear... I then go and do the same thing in Venezuela and the same thing in Nicaragua. I tell you what, 
You drive the Yankees crazy. Lee Jing Jing, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. The airwaves. This savannah is a rigid dictotomy of fact and fiction. As Fisher says, the Twitter sphere where the slightest misjudgment can spell being cancelled. One species rules over the airwaves through its ability to adapt and survive in even the harshest environments. George Galloway. The top cat in these parts, it is mostly active on Sunday evenings in Britain and mid-afternoon in the United States. It seldom roars during the day. Most notable for its wide variety of headdress, it protects these parts from the mainstream media. You can catch this fine specimen on the mother of all talk shows. Don't pick a fight with it. They've been known to bite back. Listening to the mother of all talk shows with George Galloway. The super chat donations are flooding in. Thank you very much uh, to all of you. Albert Sontag donated 40 American dollars and says, onwards and upwards, George, like Charles James Fox. Look him up, my favorite parliamentarian of all time. And Dino. Pantalukas donated $4.99 as he does every single week to the Fighting Fund from New York. Thank you, my friend. And Jason Kane donated £2. Teresa Kelly donated 10 US dollars with endless gratitude. The endless gratitude is mine, dear Teresa. A Cooler King, 74, donated 2 US dollars. Don't be shy about donating small numbers. If a large number of you donate small numbers, then we'll have a fighting fund to be uh, proud of and says hello from Kentucky. God bless you always and to you. Grace donated 20 US dollars. Carl Kerridge donated 20 Singapore dollars. Thank you, Carl. I've no idea what that's valued at, but it's valued highly by me. Zach Boyles donates $1.99. James Keenan donates 10 British pounds. Torlo Burke donates 19 US dollars 99 cents. Great stuff, George. Thank you, Torlo. And Citrus One donates 5 US dollars. Uh, Mr. Lover donates 99 British pence. Randolph Grasspointer donates 6 euros. All the Currencies are coming in. Chris John Wright donates five pounds. George, keep up the good work from Chris in Wrexham in Wales. Stanley Park donates six Canadian dollars, 99 cents. Jolly Rogers Bite 
detonates US dollars 20. Uh, possibly profit and population reduction is the goal, says Jolly Rogers. And Bigfoot gives 10 British pounds. Love you, George. Love you, Jing Jing. What's not to love about Jing Jing? And my next guest, who is Richard Medhurst, the rising star, to whom at one point I shall pass the flaming torch of liberty. For the moment, we coexist in the same uh, atmosphere, if you like, in the same ether. He is the phenomenally prodigious and successful YouTuber, blogger, political analyst, par excellence. And he joins me now. Richard, it's a very uh, sad uh, circumstances in which we meet, but I've been meeting people in these circumstances for uh, more than 50 years of my life. Uh, the uh, crimes committed uh, by the apartheid state are never-ending. Uh, is this one any different, and if so, how? Hi, George. Thank, thanks for having me on and uh, for your kind words. And uh, I, I agree. I, I, I wish these were better circumstances, but, you know, this is something that we're seeing every couple of years. You know, I mean, I, I grew up seeing... 2009 uh, a war uh, you know against Gaza and then 2014 and it's just it, it's just every couple of years they come and demolish it even more and um, you know it, on top of that of course you, as you as you very well know the Israelis don't let Palestinians even control what they can you know bring into Gaza so they're not even allowed to rebuild and this this means you have like one power plant in Gaza and now they've cut off the fuel going on there I mean I you know this this is um, uh, really, terrorism, uh, that, and, and it's ironic because they call others terrorists, but look at their behavior. And the thing is, when we talk about 2009, 2014, you know, what happened last year, May, what's happening now, you know, th these are, we have to look at the bigger picture now because what's going on is that on TV, on BBC, on, on you know, uh, CNN, they want you to think that, oh, this is about the Israelis fighting a bunch of Palestinian terrorists. Now, this is an insulting and a very simplistic way of looking at things. What's happening right now is that Israel is uh, not happy about the nuclear talks resuming in Vienna, right? The Iran nuclear talks, because, um, uh, you know, and it doesn't make sense, right? Because you would think Israel would like the, uh, the nuclear deal because it stops Iran from having a nuclear bomb. Um, it also lifts sanctions on Iran. Israel doesn't want that. Israel wants Iran to remain a pariah in the international community. They want Iran uh, to remain isolated, to be um, uh, under the, the, the heavy burden of sanctions, to have its oil and banking sectors targeted. And so Israel has a habit of sending messages, right? When Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah, gives a, a, a very potent speech, as he always does, they reply by you know, bombing and killing someone in Syria. Uh, and now, because of the nuclear talks resuming in Vienna, Israel is responding, Israel is sending a message to Iran, to the world, that it's not happy. And when I say it, a message to Iran, I think we should be careful here, because uh, just because Iran backs Palestinian Islamic Jihad, it does not mean that their, their resistance is any less legitimate, right? Um, so that, that, that's an important point I wanted to say. But that's really what's going on here. You have the Israelis taking advantage of the uh, resumption of nuclear talks to assassinate assassinate people that they have had on, put on the list for a long time and to send a message to Iran. 
And, you know, what we saw yesterday, I mean, this is incredible. You know, they, to take out one person, they, they killed 11 other Palestinians, including a five-year-old girl, injured 75. I mean, they, they even published a video. I, I, I'm sure you saw it. They just bombed a residential building. And they published this video. They're so shameless. And then they have the nerve to call other people terrorists. And we have to shut up and support this in Europe and in the UK and fund this, right? The United States giving Israel billions. And of course, you know, the, the mainstream media, the West provide Israel with political cover and other means of support. This is disgusting. You know, it, it, it's really something else that they, they um, have the nerve to do these things and then, ca- and then call it a counter-terrorism operation. Or they, of course, use the, the Bush doctrine, right? So, oh, we, we, have, we have to go after our enemies before they've even done anything because uh, uh, we have, you know, there was evidence of an imminent attack. I don't know about you, George, but <laughs> I haven't seen a shred of evidence about this so-called imminent attack. All I've seen is the Israelis bombing Palestine, bombing Gaza, and uh, really just being quite shameless about it, right? They, they even... Even when they're murdering Palestinians, they somehow manage to paint themselves as the victims. And, you know, it's, it's also ironic to me that, that the Israelis uh, call themselves the only democracy in the Middle East. You know, in a democracy, you have due process, right? So these, these commanders that they assassinated, were they given a trial? Was, was there some trial uh, that I didn't hear about? Was there an indictment? Where, you know, who gave Israel the right to just put people on a list, assassinate them on, on, on Palestinian soil, uh, killing civilians in the process, just indiscriminate bombing. And, and uh, you know, fait accompli, we're just supposed to accept that? No, th- this is terrorism. That's what, that's what it is. And is this connected to the never-ending uh, Israeli uh, general election? Uh, the current uh, stand-in prime minister and his allies showing that uh, they can outdo Netanyahu in the killing stakes. Right, exactly. That's, that's a very good point you bring up, George, because uh, they have these elections coming up in just a few months. And, of course, you know, if you want to win political support in Israel, just go kill a bunch of Palestinians or, you know, <laughs> Iranians or Syrians. I mean, it's... it's uh, it, 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 I, don't know, I don't know whether to laugh or cry, you know, the fact that this is some sort of political tool that they have. Um, you know, that, that uh, uh, Lapid, who's now taken over after Bennett, he's somehow kind of, he's somehow trying to, you know, uh, um, basically win some political points by taking out a few Palestinian commanders. It's sick. It's really sick. Um, and I don't think it's, you know, the names really don't change anything because you'll have one Israeli politician come and another go, but the policies continue. And that's really important and incremental to, to understanding what Israel is, Right. Uh, uh, when Lapid was speaking yesterday, he said that this is, we have nothing against the people of Gaza, he said, right? Israel has nothing against the people of Gaza as they pound Gaza. He said, this is about Iran. He said that Palestinian Islamic Jihad, PIJ, is an Iranian proxy. Well, I, I, let me put it another way, perhaps, right? Maybe I can suggest an amendment. Why not say that Israel, Israel is a European proxy put there to destroy Palestine, because he claims that you know the, the Iran is dedicated to destroying the state of Israel. Well, what I can see is that Iran is backing resistance movements, 
But of course, the Israelis being the occupiers, they can never talk about resistance and oppression because, you know, when you say resistance, people will look, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll sit there and say, resisting what? And then you have to you ask the question, um, who, is, who is the one occupying them? It's the Israelis. And they don't, we, can't, we can't have this conversation. So they have to make it about some like simplistic, cartoonish, um, uh, you know, depiction that, oh, we have good guys and bad guys. The Israelis are the good guys. You know, the British, we're the good guys. With the Americans, we're the good guys. And those guys are bad guys. And we, the, the ends justify the means, right? Whether it means bombing a residential building, whether it means bombing uh, public infrastructure, which is a war crime. I mean, they're, they're all war crimes. Whether it means doing that, it's okay. Because they're bad guys. And the fact that they, they use this to, to win political points before the elections, I mean, I, I don't know what to say because... Uh, whether it's election season or not, they're always behaving like this. And I feel like we should we should uh, also look at you know other things that are taking place. For example, in international affairs, like the talks in Vienna, you know this is really um, a beautiful coincidence that every time the delegations come here uh, to hash out the nuclear deal to get the Americans back in, Israel finds someone to kill. Whether it's in you know, Syria, they, they bomb Syria every couple of weeks, but they find some commander to kill in Syria, and then they find someone uh, to assassinate from Iran, they find uh, commanders to kill in Palestine. What a coincidence, right? So I think it's, it, it is related to the elections in one aspect, but it's also related to the other things that are happening. And Israel uh, has a habit yeah. uh, uh, of sending messages like that. Finally, Richard, and I'm grateful for your time uh, the the world community is, of course, as usual, struck dumb. But um, what I'm wondering about is the impact on Arab public opinion. Uh, I'm of the view uh, that uh, nothing will come to the rescue of the Palestinian people except the Arab public. And I'm wondering the impact in those countries that have normalized, uh, especially recently normalized their relations with the apartheid state. Uh, are their public seeing these pictures that we're seeing? Are they seeing the little children being carried to their graves, uh, entirely blameless little children uh, who were murdered in a reckless terroristic attack on one individual, no matter how many civilians were killed as a result? Uh, George, it's scandalous. It is absolutely scandalous. And I can barely look at the images myself. And, it's, and I have to, to to report on them to inform others, and as as you as you do as well, and have done for many decades. It's just it's scandalous what's going on in the world uh, in general. That you know the the uh, public opinion in the West is is we we know that it's controlled, right? The, the, uh, what the media do in in the West, the BBC, CNN, is they provide cover for Israel. Right, so I'm sure you've seen the passive headlines about oh, it's militants exchanging fire. Right, <laughs> one threw a firecracker and the other one responded. Apparently, that you know, just just a side point. If this happened in Ukraine, if the Russians had done this, it would be front page news. They would be very explicit in their language. But to answer your question about public opinion in the Arab world, in the countries that are normalized uh, ties with, uh, with, with with Israel, I mean, we're talking about. Uh, basically Saudi Arabia, not, not officially yet, but almost. They opened the airspace up to the uh, Israelis a few weeks ago. But uh, Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates, I mean, I, I, in the UAE, 
if I'm not mistaken, about 80% of the population are foreigners. So, you know, public opinion there is going to be mixed, of course. But when it comes to Bahrain, I recall uh, that, uh, ironically, Lapid, who's now the prime minister, he was the foreign minister, and when he visited uh, Bahrain, right, they had the first, uh, this clown show, this absolute circus, this mockery of a state visit, a so-called state visit by the Israelis to Bahrain. Um, the, the Bahrainis came out and they protested because the people are not in favor of this. And they see the images, George. They know what's going on and what has been going on for decades. They know the truth. And, uh, you know, this, this idea that, uh, you know, Palestinians are terrorists and the ends justify the means and you can massacre no matter how many Palestinian civilians. This is something, this is a fairy tale that only works in the West. The rest of the world, you know, specifically the Arab world, they know exactly what's going on. I, t- I can tell you in Morocco, for example, <laughs> the, the Israeli uh, uh, diplomats there could not even find an apartment to, to, to settle in because the Moroccans refused to let any of their uh, houses, their apartments to the Israelis. And that speaks volumes. And you see the disconnect between what the Moroccan government, uh, you know, uh, the Bahraini government uh, are, are doing and what their people feel. And so I have no doubt whatsoever, and I, and I know, and I, and I see uh, that the public opinion in the Arab world is, is uh, you know, people are enraged. They have been enraged for 70 years because this is uh, it's just brutal colonialism. And they try to, to market it as some sort of counter-terrorism while committing terrorism. I mean, it beggars belief. And, and I'm, I'm really appalled by this and angered. And you cannot look at this and not be angered. I think Nasrallah said those similar words yesterday. I'm paraphrasing. But he said no honest person can look at what's happening in Palestine and not condemn this. And so, you know, Nasrallah, I, I, I can tell you that when he speaks, <laughs> almost... Every family in Syria, in Lebanon, is tuned in and beyond. Um, and uh, he speaks for a lot of the people there. And, uh, you know, his, his impassioned speech last night uh, really said it all. And I think that phrase stuck out. And one thing that is also important to note is that the Yemeni resistance, the Iraqi resistance, the Lebanese resistance, Hezbollah, they have all come out and said, we are ready to help the Palestinians in any means necessary, in anything they need, we are ready to step up to the plate. And, the, and Syria, of course, is the headquarters for the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Uh, Syria, it's, you know, it's, it's been mixed over the years, uh, in, in the last 70 years, but Syria, one of the reasons it's been attacked by the West for the last 10 years is precisely because it supports the resistance, because it supports Hamas because it supports Hezbollah, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and so on. And that's one of the reasons Syria is paying uh, uh, the price for what's happening there. But I want to just say that, that there's a, a unified front. The, the resistance from Iran to Yemen is ready to step up to the plate and has been and will continue to support the people of Palestine. Richard Medhurst, as always, thank you very much for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. After this short break, uh, it's over to you. If I hear from some of uh, my Arab friends, particularly I'd like to hear from Saudis, if you're able safely to communicate with me. Um, I have a huge support in Saudi Arabia. No one should ever confuse the Saudi people with their rulers. I'd like to hear from you or from anyone in the Arab world 
or from anyone in the world on all the topics that we are discussing this evening, either by phone or by message. Let me take a quick break and then it's over to you. and I'll ask you yes or no questions. Ready? Okay, then. Sick and tired of hearing the same old voices on the wireless? Are you looking for an alternative opinion to the mainstream media? Do you have a thing for a Scottish accent? If your answer is no to one or more of these questions, then you need the mother of all talk shows, Miss George Galloway. Listen! Watch and share the fastest-growing political program in the world! It's the room, sir. Where's the cheese pizza, Robinson? Come on, what are the public paying you for? Oh, and uh, get another virgin colada while you're there. There's a good chap. No, who's ringing the older burner phone? Hello? How did you get this number, Ghislaine? No, 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 that's impossible. I, I can't possibly fly to New York. Why? Uh, our mummy's grounded me. Oh, yes. Certain to cut off my allowance, you know. Y- yes, yes, I, I, I know it comes from the public, but uh, she holds the strings. Oh, I've uh, got to go. Uh, my my pizza will be here uh, any minute. I'm not sweating. You're sweating. Ghislaine, don't call again. Robinson, come here with that moist towelette. It's getting a bit hot for my liking. Here? Where am I? Welcome to St. Peter's Gate. Son. Is this one of that Hillary's tricks, that devil? Be still, my son. The Flintons cannot hurt you here. You are safe with me. <laughs> oh, heck. Knew I shouldn't have taken Bob's homemade vaccine. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I am not worthy. Before you pass on, you may ask any question you desire. Anything? With my omniscient knowledge, I can tell you anything you wish to know. Well, Lord, you gotta tell me. All powerful creator of this universe, before you judge me, I've been searching for answers my whole life. Yes, my child. I have to know. Who shot JFK? Ah, ah, another one. It was a lone gunman by the name of Lee Harvey Oswald. He was not a government agent, and there was no second shooter on that grassy knoll in Dallas. My God! This goes higher up the window! You are listening to the mother of all talk shows with George Galloway. Welcome back. You're watching the mother of all talk shows and you just caught me uh, checking the value of the Malaysian ringgit. 
because a very kind person, Ang Cern, donated six Malaysian ringgit and says, some support money, wish you good health, your wishes and your donation are deeply valued. Thanks a lot. The super chats are flying in. Svear Morfit donated 300 Norwegian crowns and says, keep hitting them hard, George. As long as God gives me breath, Svear, I will. Mark Parry donated 20 British pounds, says, excellent opening, George. My ears are still ringing, as are my children's. I should tell you that this show tonight is brought to you by... Uh, largely by courtesy of the Galloway family. There's me, Gayatri, two of my sons, my grandson, and his wife. So, um, although we're not working for pay, I do have three people working for pay, and without them, we couldn't have a show. But that's the kind of operation that the mother of all talk shows is, to bring us guests, split the screen, different camera angles, proper sound, proper studio and that's what we're going to bring back on Wednesdays uh, on the 12th of October the midweek mother of all talk shows so that'll be two of these open universities of the airwaves every single week and my goodness we know it uh, I'll come back to some of these other donations lately uh, Deborah Kroll donated two US dollars and says well that gave me goosebumps George good advice Thanks, Deborah. Uh, Dale is on the line in Surrey, in England, on China. Go ahead, Dale. Oh, hi, George. It's good to be back on the show. Um, just before I get to my main point, I just wanted oh. to congratulate you and Gatry for reaching 10 years of marriage. Oh, that's really wonderful. It's our 10 years anniversary. Thank you very much. I'm a very lucky man. You're welcome. So, yeah, regarding China, you mentioned on your Wednesday show uh, that the Chinese leadership is wise sagacious, which I think is a great word, and very patient. And I think their response has been quite measured, calculated, and resolute. I know some people wanted them maybe to overreact by shooting down Pelosi's plane, but I think by having a measured approach, they've been able to limit the uh, consequences, economic consequences or militaristic consequences. And I have a theory which I'd like to um, explain to you and get your feedback on that which is that I think they might be playing the, the long game because in the future, when their GDP is the same as America's and uh, Britain's, their economy is going to be three or four times bigger than America's. And at that point, they won't be able to impose any more economic sanctions on the country. It will be the equivalent of Denmark imposing sanctions on America. It will be pitiful. And I'm wondering if they're playing the long game by avoiding wars and conflicts, whether they'll use their military and economic power to take Taiwan by force if necessary, rather than getting dragged into a war right now? Well, look, I think that China has no intention or wish to retake Taiwan by force. That's always been the position of the Chinese government since 1949, in fact. They could have pursued Kang Kashek to the island and conquered him. They could have continued the war, but they prefer a negotiated uh, settlement whereby the reunification falls like an apple from the tree uh, back to the motherland. Um, and I don't think that has changed. 
But there are two rejoinders, if you like, to your theory that I need to make. First of all, China will never allow it to be impossible for them to retake Taiwan. They will never allow Taiwan to become an impregnable U.S. fortress and base. Not just because that would preclude forever uh, the reunification, uh, but because that would be a clear and present danger to China's national uh, security because a Taiwan bristling with nuclear weapons and American forces, which we now know to have been there for some years and could be being reinforced at any time, for all we know. And who knows what other forces are there. We discover, for example, in the Ukraine that there are all kinds of special forces there that have never been declared to the parliaments or public in the countries from which they come. And the second point is, your thesis presupposes that, uh, that China will be allowed to become uh, the biggest economy in the world, three times bigger than the United States. What if the purpose of the United States is to use whatever means are necessary to weaken and break up China. Now, we all know the issues. I don't have time to recite them from Tibet to Taiwan with everything in between uh, that are brought into play like, uh, like an orchestra with different sections, the brass section, the string, the woodwind, percussion, and so on. Uh, one after another, and sometimes more than one running at one time. What if that becomes using Australia, using Japan, using the AUKUS, using, say, the Taiwan issue, a casus belli that the empire itself uses to attack China and to stop it from going onwards and upwards as it will otherwise do as we both agree. This is why I said the other day, it might have been on the Wednesday show, if not on last week's notes, the presupposition of Western countries that China will just sit and wait one day to be perchance attacked is flawed in my opinion because there will come a point at which it is less damaging to China to act preemptively to stop the endless subversion of their country. And that point can be reached at any time. And neither you nor I will know how close we are to reaching that point. A good friend of mine, Yaz, asked me, are we close to uh, Third World War? Well, we're not as close as we seem to be a couple of days ago, uh, though that's not saying much, is it? But we are closer than we have ever been. And that's quite a serious state of affairs, isn't it? On the anniversary of Hiroshima. Let's hear from Fra in Belfast on Palestine. Go ahead, Fra. Good evening, George. Good to speak to you, buddy. Uh, I give a hundred pounder, George, on your Moat TV link. Uh, I just wanted to say the reason why I've done that is I do not know of any other commentator who has one million weekly followers. I know, George, with the greatest respect, that you tell the truth as you see it, but your truth is also my truth, and the truth of the one million people who follow you weekly. And I think you see the world 
through uh, the correct lens of what is happening in the geopolitical sphere of uh, violence and uh, ongoing wars. George, I wanted just to join the threads and the parallels of some of the stuff you've been saying. As you know, I was on two of your convoys to Gaza. I've been to Donbass on three occasions uh, from 2017. I've been in Syria five times. I've also had a solidarity visit to Venezuela. So if I was to join all those threads together, every one of those threads has the simple and obvious uh, kind of parallel that they're all under American sanctions. They're all on uh, American kind of military uh, dictatorship in a way, bombings that are happening in Syria and in Yemen and in other parts of the world are directed uh, not necessarily by the Americans, but on behalf of the American empire. I think what's happening in Palestine today is, again, the bombing of Gaza is unconscionable, and I'd like to offer my solidarity, support and sympathy to the dead, the injured and those who will spend the rest of their lives in wheelchairs or in induced comas or having to walk with, uh, with artificial legs or use artificial arms or try to see the world through artificial eyes. I think what's happening in Gaza is just an extension of the American world hegemony where they are I don't think Israel is attacking Gaza for one second without the green light from America. Uh, Israel has its own internal kind of political discourse where it suits them to bomb Gaza. I think in Janine that the resistance there, the military resistance, the legal military resistance by the Palestinian people may be being led by Islamic Jihad. And I think then that the bombing in Gaza, which, uh, which facilitated and targeted Islamic Jihad, is maybe a distraction from the continuing ethnic cleansing uh, in the West Bank. But, George, you've said it yourself. You've said it many times. These people in the American kind of warmongering, uh, you know, neo-conservative, uh, neo-colonial war hawks, they're targeting Russia, they're targeting Iran, they're targeting China. And instead of using American soldiers, although they do have American, uh, what are they called, American advice on the ground, I mean, reminiscent of Vietnam and Korea, how both those conflicts started, uh, I think it's possible that Taiwan will become, God forbid, another proxy war against China and possibly a naval blockade against China if America thought it could get away with it. Well, that's a very, very powerful indictment, Fra, and I'm deeply grateful for it and for your most handsome donation. I know that you're not a wealthy man, and for you to donate £100 to our fighting fund is, it's really touched me, and I'm, I'm very grateful for the powerful point that you made. Uh, you did indeed come with me on the long miles all the way to Gaza over and over again, breaking the siege and our caravan, our uh, convoy uh, has uh, done its best to show the people of the Arab world and the Palestinians in particular that not every person in the Western world is a devil and that there are good people by their millions uh, in the Western countries. And you are definitely one of the best of those. Tish is in the United States. I don't know where. Let's hear from her. Tish, what would you like to say? 
Hello, George. I'm in uh, near Austin, Texas. And uh, so I wanted to comment oh, lovely, about... lovely. I like Austin. <laughs> I like Austin. I've been there. I I've do, spoken but, there, but, actually. But it's becoming a clown world, George. <laughs> We've got um, okay, Jack go Dorsey, the, the, the former head of Twitter. He just went on uh, earlier today and tweeted, end the CCP. Um, you know, 50,000 people are, he wants are to responding. He wants to end it. Is that right? Jack Dorsey wants to end the Chinese Communist Party. Good luck with that, Jack. Yeah. Let's see yeah. how you get on I mean, with that. <laughs> now, I'm a Bitcoiner, and, and Bitcoiners know the truth about the, the fiat system. And it, it's appalling that somebody like that who touts Bitcoin, you know, it's on his uh, his little uh, yeah, profile. Sure. I, it's just like it hit me in the gut. I'll tell you, I, you know, the, the, no, don't don't take it uh, too seriously, Tish. The Chinese people will laugh at the idea that Jack Dorsey of something called Twitter has called to end the CCP that governs in overwhelming support, the most powerful manufacturing country in the world, the most populous country in the world, soon to be the richest country in the world, with an army of millions, with a navy as splendid as any navy in the world, with an air force capable of delivering hypersonic, intercontinental ballistic nuclear weapons to every city in the United States, though only once. As China said, we are well aware that America can destroy China many times over. We are content only to be able to destroy America once. So Jack Dorsey, this piece of fluff, should be and will be white off the shoulder like a pesky ant that has found itself on your shoulder don't be depressed Tish uh, now on Super Chat I've just had a donation from Tony Bond who gave the show 20 pounds are you related to James Bond Tony pushing along thank you very much such a handsome donation uh, he says I have family in Mariupol, and I can report that electric water and internet is back for the majority. They are rebuilding with pride. Gas will be back on in October. Petrol is 40 pence a litre, unlike West Ukraine, where it is 10 times that price. It'll soon be 10 times that price here, Tony. I can't tell you how happy I am to hear that about your family in Mariupol. I myself intend to visit Mariupol as soon as it is possible uh, to do so. I think Mariupol will become a jewel. I think it will become a jewel in the crown. And I think it's great, great days lie ahead of it. And I hope that you and your family share in those great days. And thank you for the donation. Mark Parry donated £20. That's the one who said my opening was excellent and his ears were still burning. Bella 
donated 20 American dollars. Uh, Virtual Agran donated 5 Canadian dollars. Thank you for that. Ganesh Murugan uh, donated SAR. Saudi Rials, 19.99. Thank you. God bless you and all my friends in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Tish, who was just on the line, donated 40 US dollars and says, read my phone call, read Jack Dorsey's tweet. As a Bitcoiner, I'm disgusted at his idiocy. Thank you. God bless you, Tish. Andrew donated one pound. John Fitzy donated one pound. Keep them coming in, please. Uh, TY donated five US dollars, says, keep up the good work, George and Richard. Now, on line two, we've got Raymond in Swansea wants to have a row with me. Come and have a go, Raymond, if you're hard enough. No problem, George. Good evening. How are you? All right. Good to hear from you, Ben. Go ahead. Thanks very much. I, I disagree with you completely on Taiwan. Completely disagree with you. So it was, the, it was, like you said, I can't remember the leader's name who the People's Republic of China overthrew in 1949. But since then, uh, they've sort of developed their own country. In fact, most people that live in Taiwan would refer to themselves as Taiwanese. I think in the most recent poll, there's only like 3% actually count themselves as part of, as part of China. Uh, in 1992, there was like this sort of agreement where then people could then travel both sides to go and see family that they'd not seen in a long time. But for you to say that they should just be, like China came on that they need to be re-educated. Do you know what I mean? Like why should we not defend their right to live how they want to live? Do you know what I mean? It's like China well, as well. You talk about great I'll let you come back, uh, Raymond, uh, but I've got to put some pointed information to you. There is no single government in the entire world that recognizes Taiwan as an independent country. Answer that. But they were allowed as part, to be a part of China, but a separate province. The only thing that's the only thing that they don't like is obviously they're run democratically. So for the Raymond, last seventy years, can you the answer? Whole can you in- answer? Can you look, Raymond? We're now well aware that there's a Raymond in Swansea that recognises Taiwan as an independent country. Tell me one other country in the world, one, that recognises Taiwan as an independent country. Taiwan is not recognized as an independent country. If you're looking at it legally, in Raymond and Swansea's mind, it is. I think the people that have lived there for the last 70 years and built the country from scratch have, are, are allowed to determine how they lead and live their lives. You can't come in just after 70 years and Why say, does, right, we're unhappy yeah. with the way this is governed because it's different from our opinion. Well, okay. So we're going to come in, take your country yeah. by force, and we're no- going to re-educate you. Yeah. Why does nobody else agree with you on that? What, you mean 99.9% of your viewers? There's probably a lot of people in the Western world that would agree. No, that no, the, no. That the force... Oh, no, absolutely not. I disagree. No, I mean, I, why I, doesn't I Joe Biden... Agree that Pelosi I, went no, Raymond, I, I agree with Raymond, you on that. Raymond, Raymond, I'm, Raymond. Raymond, I'm asking you, why doesn't Joe Biden agree with you? Why doesn't Boris Johnson agree with you? Why doesn't Macron agree with you? Schultz agree with you. The European Union agree with you. The ASEAN countries agree with you. The United Nations agree with you. Why doesn't a single African country agree with you? A single Asian or Latin American country agree with you? Or a North American country agree? Why is everybody 
out of step on this, except Raymond and Swansea. Because I disagree with the fact that if you've got a right, you should have the right to live the way that you want to live, don't you? And there should be no one else that should be able to tell you to live otherwise, which is what they'll end up doing. It's the same with the Uyghurs in China. You talk about how great China is, and I'll admit that it's, it's become... It will probably will surpass America, but at the minute they've got their own housing problem, which is going to—that's going to collapse in no time whatsoever. Because you've got all the China, like you don't see do all you, the markets because the people yeah. have lost their deposits on the houses that were pre-built. And when one of the guys ran off, are you a big fan of? Are you a big fan of Muslims, Raymond? Do you do you are you active in support of Muslim causes across the world? Or what is it about like Chinese Muslims? What is it? What 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 is it about Chinese Muslims that has excited your attention so? Well, these talk about great China, but you don't necessarily refer to the Uyghurs, do you? And how they're sort of being and sort of being re redoctrinated or re-educated, as they would like uh, us uh, to uh, believe. Oh, uh, these are all Raymond, like great Raymond, old camps we've got. Raymond, you're missing. You're you're missing my point. Are you active in support of the Yemen Muslims, the Palestinian Muslims, the Kashmiri Muslims, the Afghan Muslims? Are you a big man on these subjects or is it just because you hate China? Is that why you're on the line making this point? I just don't agree with the fact that, and I think there's a lot to do in the West that has went wrong. We shouldn't be fanning the flames of war in Ukraine. That was wrong in the start. There's been... Literally, in fact, I mentioned this the other week, that there's hardly anything on the news on Ukraine anymore because Ukraine is getting smashed. That's why we're not hearing about it. Well, Raymond uh, doesn't like the Chinese. He doesn't like Muslims particularly, but he totally loves Chinese Muslims. Uh, let's go, I think it will be the last call, alas, to Vaz in Devon uh, on the cost of gas and energy, something that everyone is going to be talking about, Vas, in, uh, in just a few weeks' time, believe me. Go ahead. Hello, George. It's good to talk to you again, my friend. I call you my friend because you, sir. I can relate to you. As I've gotten older, um, my, my political views have changed dramatically and gone 180, degree, dig, uh, 180 degrees from being a businessman who was an out-and-out conservative in order to benefit myself, to being a person who unfortunately became, got onto harder times and decided that actually being a socialist was the more um, humanitarian political outlook in life. Okay. I phoned, I phoned, when you, when you started your monologue, George, earlier this evening, <laughs> I, I laughed because it's hilarious. But if you don't laugh, you're going to cry, given what's going on in the world. Okay. So I told your, I told your, um, your uh, telephonist, I came back from work. I've, I, I have got an HGV driving license. I work away from home from Monday to Friday, sometimes Monday to Saturday. Um, I went to work uh, uh, approximately 6 a.m. on Monday morning um, and got in my lorry and did what I do and came back home on Friday evening approximately, I don't know, 9.30 in the evening. Um, 
did what I do, put my laundry in the washing machine, uh, sorted myself out, got myself organized, put some food on, got in the shower, had the shower, came out, poured myself a drink, and then I noticed that on my refrigerator, George, in my kitchen, that was locked when I left home on Monday morning, and of that I am sure two handwritten notes from Eon Electricity. So, I decided, hang on a second, how do two handwritten notes get on my refrigerator by an electricity company unless they've actually broke into my property? I've had no correspondence from a court saying that we have given right the, the, the right of entry to Eon Electricity to enter your property to do whatever it is they need to do, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, hang on a second, this is a criminal offence. These people have let themselves into my property illegally. I contacted my landlord that evening and left a message on the telephone. My landlord phoned me back 9.30 on the Saturday morning and said to me, that she had categorically not had any correspondence or dealings with Eon Electricity. The company that you have spoken about in respect of being nationalized in France, but is making a massive amount of profit for their shareholders in the United Kingdom. Are you still with me, George? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I, I'm still with you, Buzz, but I can't be for much longer because I'm already two minutes over the allocated time. That was a long story you were telling me. It was a fascinating one. Eon are not here to answer uh, the allegations of criminal behavior that you have made, but no one will be clutching their pearls like a maiden ant in horror at the idea that Eon might actually do the kind of thing that you have described. But if they would like to respond to the allegations you've made, we will, of course, showcase them. But I am out of time. The podcast of this show will be out tomorrow. And, of course, next week I'll be back here at 7 p.m. UK time with the mother of all talk shows. But until October the 12th, I'll be appearing on YouTube on The Galloway Show, brought to you by my whole family. On behalf of all of us, it's been a pleasure. Hope you enjoyed it. It's been marvellous, as I always like to say. And if it was for you, bring somebody else with you next week. Bye-bye.